are listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fanboys and fangirls. It's your host, Aaron Broverman. And in the studio today, we have the editors of the Toronto Comics Anthology, Volume 3. You might remember from a previous episode, we had the editors from Volume 2, Andrew Stevenson and Nelson DeRocha. Today, we have Aaron Feldman. Hello. And Allison O'Toole. Hi there. Good to have you in. But this isn't the only thing you guys do in comics. Aaron, you've done a lot of other anthologies that have come up. You've had stories in there. Allison, you're the editor on The Pitiful Human Lizard, right? Mm -hmm. With Jason Liu, who's also been on the Speech Bubble podcast in an earlier episode. So listeners should check that out. Generally, before we get into what you're here to pitch, we like to go deep with the guests that come in, right? So we like want to get into like your history with comics and how you got into writing and editing and doing those sorts of things. Why don't we start with you, Allison? Where, where are you from originally? I grew up in Richmond Hill, just north of the city of Toronto, so close by. Uh, moved in the city... I guess 2014, only two years now, oh, but nice. uh, yeah, I got my, a lot into comics sort of after moving into the city, so I'm still kind of a baby in the community. Okay. What were you doing before comics? Like, what was, like, high school? Did you go to school for anything, like a degree or anything? Uh, or? Yeah, I've got a degree in English from Queens, which, as you can imagine, is incredibly useful. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> spent a little bit of time soul-searching after graduating. You mentioned Pitiful Human Lizard. That's actually kind of what got me into it. I was doing uh, some reviews online for websites like Paper Droids. It's a Toronto-based pop culture site for women. And I was doing comics reviews there. And uh, when Jason Liu was getting ready to kickstart the first issue of Human Lizard. Yeah, because it started as an independent comic that he, yeah, that he, was he kickstarted before it got picked up by Chapter House, right? Yeah, yep, exactly. Okay. At the time, it was done he just wanted someone to make sure that he didn't make any spelling errors basically so i had a look at it and even in university you know i'd been doing a bit of copy editing for friends the same kind of thing just making sure that the commas were all in the right place that kind of stuff english degree but then yeah i realized i really like doing it and uh, our my relationship with jason became a lot more collaborative in terms of um you know, he started to show me the scripts at an earlier stage, talk about the stories and the character decisions at an earlier stage. So I became a lot more involved. So you started... went from like copy editor to like actual editor and like sort of creative consultant sort of thing. Yeah. The way I work with Jason is still a bit different than how a typical editor would be working um, with a creative. On the anthology, for example, you know, everyone has con- creative control and stuff, but we'll be doing a lot more of like this word isn't great, like, could you use something else instead of this, like, vaguely offensive cuss word, (laughs) things like that. Uh, And we have to be a lot more uh, concerned about our audience, that kind of thing. Uh, And then we're responsible for a lot of the project management, which is typical for editors, in terms of, you know, making sure that it gets to the printers and making sure that all of the formatting is correct and all that kind of stuff, whereas Jason takes care of most of that himself. I'm not really involved with Chapter House. Like, I'm technically on Jason's staff. Yeah, yeah. So I don't interact with them, which is atypical. So did your role change after it got picked up by chapter house not really i think they wanted to use one of their in-house editors but i'd been there for a while and jason was like no allison will be my editor that's cool (laughs) yeah uh, we just we had kind of a good rapport and he knew that i understood what he was trying to do with the book so you know for our next issue it's different it's kind of a, a much more tight 
focused, almost like real time issue where he gets stuck in Mississauga overnight and has to find his way home. Oh, and cool. I remember Jason originally thinking that one was maybe like a little bit too bleak because he tries to keep a, a more like a really positive tone with the book. And he thought that something with the hero being repeatedly kind of beleaguered and getting down was a little bit dark. So we had to, we talked that one out a bit and decided that we should go ahead with it and it would be good, you know, pushing his limits a little bit for the kind of stories he could tell with the book. Cool. Um, so what issue is that going to be in? Uh, issue seven. So that, the next one is coming out. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So how did you meet him? <laughs> we met uh, at March Comic Con in 2013 when we were both dressed as multiple man. <laughs> we saw each other in the line, my my friend that I was with pointed, she was like, that guy's wearing the same shirt as you. And we were kind of waving at each other. And we ended up walking around a bit and people like loved it, obviously, when you have two multiple men. But yeah, that was how we met. And we had a lot in common. And we hung out a lot. And Did he have the full team costume? Because, yes. Because Jason won, like, I guess at the Silver Snow Halloween party, he won for best group costume, but his costume was not a group. It was like him and a bunch of cardboard cutouts of him, hence the multiple man gimmick, right? So he mm -hmm. was wearing that when you he when was, you met him? yeah. He had it closed a lot of the time because it, it expands and it closes so that right. when it was really crowded, he could walk around. Yeah. So he'd have it closed and then it looked funnier when we were next to each other. But either way, it, it was, yeah, it was uh, interest in a sort of uh, like a B-level character is always kind of a good bonding thing for comics nerds, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So you mentioned that you did, you did sort of reviews and that's sort of what got you into comics. I assume that's what sort of brought you to the Comic-Con where you met him. What, what were, how did you get into comics like originally? Well, I only honestly only started reading them because of the Marvel movies. Okay. I found them really intimidating when I was a kid, and a lot I didn't. Of people do. Now. Yeah, and I didn't. Uh, I didn't have friends that read comics when I was a kid, so it just like wasn't present in my life really. Mm -hmm. And you know, the movies came out, made it a lot more accessible, made me finally go and pick up, you know, like Joss Whedon's X Men and all those sort of starter pack. <laughs> so, uh, did you walk into a shop, and hopefully, you had a good experience walking yeah, into the shop? I went somebody... to the Beguiling, and okay. Chris Butcher gave me a. Piece piece of banana bread it was a great experience that's awesome <laughs> so thank you thank you chris butcher for the banana bread and did he recommend a bunch of things for you to pick up or? yeah i had a couple because it was the marvel like it was the movie so i knew i wanted the joss whedon stuff because i knew his stuff from you know buffy firefly all that jazz so i picked up frey and i picked up two volumes of his x-men and i think i picked up some thor comics it was the summer that thor had come out ah so i think i picked up the j michael Stris Chinsky. Yeah, I uh, never know how to pronounce and his name either. Olivier Coipel. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I just sort of, I knew those were things that I had some familiarity with. And I wasn't really ready to delve outside of that yet. But I was like, these are the things. And he was like, I don't really know Thor that well, but I heard this was good. And he gave me the first issue of Thor the Mighty Avenger, which was also great and canceled after what, like 10 issues or something? I don't know. It was yeah. great either way. And like the Beguiling is more known for like their indie comics and stuff. But did you know that at the time? Nope. It yeah. was close to my office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the first Marvel movie that you saw? Well, I was into the X-Men and the Spider-Man ones when I was a kid. Like, so that had sort of primed me for... In and I liked, like, the old... The 60s Spider-Man they used to air on, like, re-air on television. The cartoon. The cartoon. Yeah. 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 I don't remember which ones I saw when. I think Thor was the first one I saw in theaters. Actually, that was a fun story. Long story short, a dude who was way more interested in me than I was in him 
wanted to go for lunch. We did that. I wanted to go home and he was like, but he had the car and he was like, let's go see a movie. And Thor happened to be the next thing playing. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then I was way more interested in that movie than in anything. Well, at least the movie was good. Yeah. Because yeah. then you could like ignore him the whole time. That's exactly what I did. It was great. <laughs> he kind of set you on a career path. Like he changed yeah, your life. He, he really yeah. did. He really sorry. did. So yeah. sorry, that guy. So yeah. what did you like about the movies? Because like, like this is sort of what Marvel hopes will happen. You are the thing where you go to the movie and then you get into the comics and that's why they're trying to like tailor their whole comic thing to the movies because they want people to like go to the movies and want to pick up the comics starring you know chris hemsworth lookalikes and stuff like that (laughs) so what made you go oh i don't just want to watch this i want to see what's out there in the comics this is embarrassing now but I'm not the only one, but it was Loki. (laughs) I just found him very compelling, and I read on the internet that there were comics focused on him specifically. Yeah. And they're good. Like, the the Blood Brothers one that, um, the... Assad. Oh, Ribic. Oh, Ribic. Yeah. 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 And he Rob paints- Rody is that the the I writer so. of it? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Now it's been like five years since I read and it. And he like but- paints them. Like, yeah. It's really good. Yeah. So it was gorgeous. And you know, I was one of those people. I didn't have like my nose up about comics. I just never really delved into them. But I didn't have an image in my mind that that's what they would look like, I guess. Like I was never one of those people that was like, ugh, this isn't real yeah. literature. <laughs> but I had just never delved into them. And I didn't imagine like that very like painterly more tactile style for them. Like in my head, they all just looked like, you know, Jack Kirby. Right. So that was kind of different. And it kind of, I realized that there were more options for what comics could be. And I, you know, I did the Marvel thing for probably like six months just because it was easier to access. Right. And it was what people were talking about online. And it was just all the primers were out for all the Marvel ones. So I Mm -hmm. read a lot of Iron Man until I realized I don't care about Iron Man. I went out to BMV and I bought like nine volumes of like the Matt Fraction run. And I was like, wait. I don't actually like this. And yeah. it was very liberating to realize to, I could get out of that. <laughs> of the runs, the Matt Fraction one was pretty good. I mean, you can't go wrong with Matt Fraction. It's probably the one to check out if you're not sure if you like Iron Man or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I so, decided yeah. I don't care. Yeah. So that's yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. So then how did you sort of expand your horizons? Because obviously like the Toronto Comics Anthology is more like it would be classified as like indie more because it's, it's, you know, create your own stories and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. How did you sort of get away from superheroes and go more into that? So I, this was while I was in university uh, and I spent a lot of time not doing work, I think, <laughs> as everyone does, yeah. especially during exams. You know, I found everyone else was binging TV shows. So I started binge reading comic series. Yeah. And writers and editors and stuff are like expert procrastinators. Yeah, I find. Mm-hmm. exactly. I'm a journalist, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's definitely been my experience, too. You're like, oh, it's 11.30 p.m. I should maybe get started. Yeah. Uh, so I, it was just sort of the internet for the most part. Like, I, once I sort of saw what superheroes were about, and again, it took, like, maybe in six months, I was like, okay, I've kind of, like, figured what this is about, and there's some stuff I like and some stuff I don't like. And I think a lot of it started when I started looking up, like, horror comics, because I felt that that was... I'd read um, also Isad Gribic, um, the Submariner, the Depths comic, if you've ever read okay. that one. It sounds like it would suck because it's about the Submariner, but it's written by Peter Milligan. So yeah, it's got that going for it. Yeah, yeah. who I didn't know at the time, but it's great. It's a really cool comic and it was really spooky. And I was like, oh yeah, I should see if there's horror stuff. And I started branching into even more of the kind of like artsy side of superhero stuff, like, you know, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and yeah, The Sandman and all that kind of stuff. And Sandman. again, it was just, you know, still mainstream, but with a more indie 
aesthetic and I yeah, also yeah. had a few friends who were big into like one of my friends recommended all like Mike Allred's back log so yeah, I read Mad Men yeah like, like Mad Men is one of my favorites but I also love like Red Rocket 7 so it was kind <laughs> of just going on and also just picking stuff off the shelves like I started reading a lot of Image I started reading a lot of Dark Horse mm-hmm. um you know I'm a big Mike Mignola fan of course uh, nice. but yeah I was just sort of exploring again as I as an English major and someone who's interested, I've, I never want to just pinpoint any kind of reading into like one box because right. that's boring. So eventually I wanted to just sort of see what was outside of that. And a lot of it was asking people for recommendations. It was going into used bookstores and just picking stuff off the shelf. And I still read superhero comics, but definitely less than I used to. Like most of the stuff I'm following isn't now. So given your experience, like what advice would you give someone who like was sort of like you and and saw the movies and wanted to get into comics and that sort of thing if you're doing the superhero thing honestly it's best just to jump in marvel keeps renumbering everything uh and i found wikipedia was my best friend so if there were references to things that i didn't understand or characters that like especially if you're reading x-men there's like a million characters and there are gonna be people you don't know talking about things you haven't seen but you kind of just have to um just jump in like that's the only way to do it i love used bookstores for that because you can just pull stuff off the shelf and if it's not the best then at least only paid five bucks for it but there's a lot out there and there's a lot even outside the movies and the characters related to the movies um there's probably something that you'll like because comics are a medium not a genre and there's so much to explore and i would say just start like picking stuff up start reading lists on the internet like every year you get the best ofs and you get the list you'll see the certain creators names again and again and again and I think if you just work at it a bit, you're definitely, you're likely to find something that you'll really, really love. As someone who is literary, did you find Sandman as literary as everyone says that it is? I don't like Sandman as much as everyone else <laughs> They're like, this is the comic. If you're an English major and you're a woman, this is the comic. That's what the media says. Yeah, right? no. Well, they say that about Gaiman all the time. And <laughs> I'm know. like, Ugh. His last book was called Trigger Warnings, guys. Like, <laughs> and, and like a little like snide jibe at you. Like, let's <laughs> dial it back. But yeah. um, I don't know. I didn't not like Sandman. For me, I found it kind of uh, meandery, which I know is part of the charm for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people liked how it would, how episodic it was mm-hmm. and how it would follow these like other characters and then the, the, you know, dream would only feature tangentially. Yeah. But I didn't like that as much. It really crystallized for me. It was like the seventh volume when finally he was like going on a road trip with Delirium and finally these characters had some kind of humanity to them that yeah, I found yeah, a lot more yeah, engaging. Yeah. I don't know if I would have bought the whole series, but one of my good friends who's now my roommate owned the whole series already. Like that was one that she went out and bought the whole thing. Yeah. I was like, eh, it's here. <laughs> yeah. So it was just, it was out of convenience. I love Lucifer, the follow-up. I found a lot more cohesive and a lot more literary. I don't yeah. know. I really like Mike Carey for that. Like he's one of my favorite writers and I think he's he can be literary without being self-congratulatory in it in the way I find Gaiman can be. Yeah, he wrote The Unwritten too, right? Yeah, Which is yeah, like exactly. very literary. Yeah, but I also yeah. don't think that it's it's not literary in a way that's trying to be exclusive right. or trying to be like pretentious. It's just like, yeah. let's talk about literature. And I'm sure there are people who disagree with me and find it kind sure. of ivory towery because it uses like the song of Roland in it and stuff like that. <laughs> sure, but its entry point is also like Harry Potter. Exactly, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And right. so I think that it's... um. That seems like it's coming from a place of genuine enthusiasm more than, like, trying to achieve some goal to prove how literary comics can be. Right. But, you know, and at the time, like, Gaiman and his techniques were groundbreaking, but now they're not. Because yeah, of, of course. Him, because of him and because of, like, mm-hmm. Alan Moore and stuff. So 
it it looks tired sort of in in retrospect I yeah guess, if you're coming to it now you know what i mean yeah because that sort of thing like that tangential aside and characters only featuring a little bit that's that's happening mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. and stuff yeah so. i say that's fair that yeah. it, if you look at it in con it's kind of like watchmen too like right. in, if you consider it in the context of when it was written it's like groundbreaking and insane yeah but it's also been so copied and so right. imitated since that i feel like it can lose a little bit of its um, bite in a way. Right. But uh, yeah, if you consider, you know, now that I have gone back and I've read all the comics that were coming out at that time, and you can see the influence that, that both of those books had, then it's a lot more um, stunning, I think, to read. Right. But you have to, it's hard, if you don't know that already and you haven't, you know, at the time of reading Sandman, I didn't know anything about that era. So it's kind of like, this is okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> exactly. So, Aaron, what about you? Like, what's your story? How did you get involved in comics? I mean, I met you at the 24-hour comic days that would yeah, happen. Yeah, it must have been quite a few years ago, yeah. like three or four, yeah. right? And then, and then you kept showing up to them. Yeah, so, they just so... wouldn't let me leave. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I grew up in Toronto. Okay. Um, I went to Windsor for a bit for university, but I actually had a pretty good time. This was when, like, David Finch, who's from I think either Windsor or Detroit was getting big with Avengers when Brian Michael Bendis went on and he was the artist. Yeah. And also at the same time Jeff Lemire, who's from Essex County, was doing Tales of Essex Essex County and like getting pretty big at the time. Yeah. So it was like kind of a good time for the comics community in Windsor. Right. Um, and Michigan has its own like independent collective scene that it's very Yeah, cool. from what I understand it's like it's pretty happening there. I didn't go to Detroit that often, uh-huh. but yeah, like, it's definitely, you wouldn't think of necessarily, like, that area as being, or not, obviously Detroit's great, but, like, not necessarily Windsor's being, like, the happening place for the comic scene. But there's a surprisingly large amount of people right. there. And just as a side, I think that they're the first university just this year to have a comic book writer as their writer-in-residence. That's awesome. So that was pretty cool. And so when I came back here, you know, I've been interested in comics and writing comics since at least like grade four, like I was doing comic books back then that were pretty awful, but it was something I definitely had a passion for. And, you know, I had, a, you know, I had the relatives who were very encouraging. I'm like, oh my God, Cheeseman is the greatest superhero I've ever seen, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. And so, you know, something I've, I've kept at since then. And uh, I'd say that, uh, you know, when I came back to Toronto, I live right by Paradise Comics, so I knew a lot of the people there, just even helping out at all their, like, when they used to run the... The Paradise. The Paradise Comic Cons, yeah. yeah. Uh, And then eventually, I think they they sold it to Wizard World. Yeah. Yeah, didn't pan out, but but they did well. And so I got to meet a lot of people through that. It was kind of cool, and seeing the community grow. And then uh, through there, I started doing some independent, like, working for independent publishers, just writing, like, uh, you know six or eight page scripts for these things that you know like 10 people would read um how did you get into it like how did you pitch yourself were you like i want to write comics you know honestly it helped that i was i'm dating a an artist um because artists are very high in demand and writers aren't Um, right like i was gonna ask you because like the path for writers is so much more difficult yeah you kind of have to you kind of have to prove yourself and either self-publish or be published to get published but uh, it sort of helped that people would approach uh rebecca and say, hey, like, I need an artist. Uh, I'm trying to put together a bunch of stories. And she'll be like, oh, yeah, can my boyfriend write for you guys? And they'll be like, yeah, I guess so. And then... <laughs> At uh, least you got that. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, and it, but it worked out uh, pretty well for me because yeah. I'd say that, you know, 
jobs would lead to slightly bigger jobs and slightly bigger jobs. And so then I started writing for some anthologies, including Toronto Comics, uh, Volume 2. And then... Are you in Strange Romance as well? Yes, I am. Okay, so Strange Romance Romance is like, it's like a romance comic sort of sci-fi horror hybrid anthology kind of thing? Yeah, every story is a something romance mashup. So it's either a sci-fi romance or a horror romance, like you're saying, fantasy romance. Right. Um, and so I did sort of a eldritch horror romance, P.S. Cthulhu, with Rebecca Slack, who is my girlfriend, the nice. one who gets me jobs. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, so, uh, and I'm pretty happy with how that one turned out. Um, have you read that? I have not. I have not read it, but I will. You should. uh, It's available for $5 on Comixology. uh, And Aaron and Rebecca's story is the best one in the collection. Yeah. (laughs) Totally objective opinion. That's the thing. Like, even though maybe you initially got jobs through your connection to Rebecca and the fact that she's your girlfriend, (laughs) I mean, you're actually good at this. (laughs) Thank you. So I'm sure that once you started you know submitting things and people actually liked your take on stuff that you actually ended up getting jobs for your own on your own merit and yeah for, sh- for thank you for saying that um yeah. <laughs> and uh i mean i think that that's something that um i'm you know obviously i was trying to get better and better but it is something i i try and spend a lot of time i have the luxury to be able to try and spend time working on my craft because i know there's a few people who might just sort of write for the sake of getting published, which I see sometimes. Or they're self-publishing. Or they're self-publishing. And I think that I made a deal with myself early on in my career. And this is going to sound so, like, full of myself. Oh, I, I, like, I just stopped talking. But, like, where I wasn't going to worry about getting published or getting jobs. But I was just going to worry about, like, getting as good as I can be. And I'm still trying to do that and challenge myself a bit more. So what were stuff. you doing to make money while you were trying to... Um, into comics and so a few things um one live at home it's a very very uh useful <laughs> tool yeah if you have no dignity it really helps uh to be a starving writer and then i also i work at a non-profit organization called story planet so we run writing workshops for underprivileged kids around toronto and stuff so that's that you know that helps some of like me eat some of the times nice yeah, that's generally the main source of income for me. Cool. Um, so I'd say, yeah, either have very like understanding parents or live with someone who will support you and be your patron. Because <laughs> it really like that's I think the only way you can have the time, the free time to devote to writing. Right. Yeah. Because if you have to get paid right away, like for your bills and stuff, writing comics right now isn't necessarily the thing right yeah like you'd have to be maybe like a journalist or write something else or For do sure. regular copy editing whatever yeah absolutely. and then also do comics on the side yeah i think that because you know for a while i was also working in retail and stuff right. and it was much more challenging to let's say come home from you know eight hour shift and then make yourself write for two hours on top of that. Right. Very difficult to do. And I can't say I always did that, but that was sort of my game plan. So if, if you have a job, it's very hard, but you can do it, but you have to be way less lazy than I am. (laughs) Nice. So my impression of you was like, at first I didn't know who you were at all. I didn't see you anywhere. And then all of a sudden you were everywhere. You were in every anthology. <laughs> you were doing every story. I like a virus so that way. Are you, are you, are you sensing momentum now? Like in, on this path that you're on to, you know, write, write comics? 
Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, it's it, it has been gaining momentum. I kind of have this. So I was talking about this idea of um, trying to get better, you know, every year. Right. And then the other deal I make with myself is I try and always be in a position a year later where me from a year from now would hate me. You know, three years ago, I wasn't published, let's say, right. and just sort of writing my own stuff. And then a year after I started getting, you know, jobs and being, you know, very independently published. So me from a year before that would have hated me, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, the year after that, I started getting in more anthologies, like paid work that uh, got some coverage. Right. So, you know, me from the me who was writing these like scripts that no one was seeing was would hate that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm editing a, a an anthology. So me from a year ago would hate me now. Yeah. So I can't wait to be the me that I'm going to hate now a year from now, if that makes sense. Right, right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Like you're maybe just, you're just yeah, on the rise. Just let my own self's hatred like fuel my <laughs> my uh, trajectory so. I, I think self-spite i, I think yeah. honestly like most jews like you and me yeah that, that's what happens we let yeah. our own self-hatred fuel yeah. our motivation yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of be the success you want to hate in the world that's yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my mo- motto exactly yeah. So I wanted to talk to you guys sort of about your style and the way that I'm going to do that is I'm, I'm going to talk about the stories that you're doing in sure. the anthology. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to talk a little bit about the story that you did in the second volume that sort of blew everybody away Ooh. too. Like <laughs> when Andrew was in here, when Andrew and Nelson were in here, that was like the story that they, that they highlighted and Sweet. couldn't stop talking about was the, and I mean, he still can't stop talking about it. He talks about it in the video yeah, he did. That was a little, <laughs> for the, was a little awkward. For the, for the Kickstarter. I'm like, yeah, hi, um, I'm Aaron Feldman. Yeah, and then he's like, this... I love Aaron Feldman. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah for this current Kickstarter yeah. <laughs> campaign. Yeah, that so, was weird. You have a really unique take. Like, I know sure. why you keep getting published because <laughs> you, you go in directions that no one is sort of expecting okay. yeah, to, for people sure. to go. So, how do you sort of come up with like your ideas and like what do you kind of want to do because whenever I read your stuff it's like it's going along in a direction and then there's always sort of a like a weird twist (laughs) or like a take that happens so sure 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 how do you arrive at what kind of writer you want to be and what kind of ideas you're you have people who know me like know I'm like kind of like a huge fanboy of alan moore like big 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 time so am I. like when people be like well you know this is kind of problematic i'll be like no it's not it's amazing like you're you're problematic you know um like like are you a fan of his writing or are you a fan of his i'm both i'm a fan principles of his, weird princi- his weird principles his magic his uh beard. his beard i love it all like yeah. uh anytime he has an interview you know where he says some controversies i'm reading it like yeah yeah this guy's amazing you know um he's so beyond everybody they just don't understand yeah and it's like i guess it's like such a because you know like he he is widely seen as like the best comic book artist not everyone or not artist writer Writer. but everyone kind of not everyone agrees about that but he's sort of if you were to name it it's like sort of the the safe choice yeah he's sort of like the father of like I don't know what I would call like modern comic writing because sure, yeah. people always are trying to imitate yeah. Alan Moore. <laughs> well, I'm no different. Um, <laughs> so I, one of the things he said in some writing for comics book that I think I got like three copies of for my birthday or something uh, was to always don't write things that you know you can do. Write things that kind of scare you a bit and um, you're not sure that you can pull off. So that was sort of my 
goal with both the Toronto comics and also I think for Hogtown Horror, which is uh, another anthology that both Allison and I are going to be in. When you come up with pitches, you're going to come up with a lot of ideas for pitches for Toronto comics. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of Toronto-centric ideas. Oh, something at the CN Tower. Some, you know, yeah. some, uh, aliens live in medieval times, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of like the typical yeah. cliche ideas. And I of, think, yeah, for sure. And, and And what I just tried to do is try to keep going when I thought of that. Yeah. Um, I actually wasn't sure if I was going to pitch for Volume 3 because I didn't have an idea that really intrigued me, but I like I knew I had uh, emotions I wanted to convey, if that makes sense. Right. And what were those? I think it was a lot of fear at the time, and uh, like my own fear and uh, and anxieties, and I and I thought that um, in connection to Toronto or just in general. Oh yeah, I'm afraid of Toronto. <laughs> no, just in general in life, and and okay. you know, like you know, things that you're not sure of about yourself or about uh, the life you're living. Right. I guess uh, when I thought of Au Noir, that struck me as a good metaphor for that. The idea of just being completely in the dark. Like, it's kind of pretentious. Like, kind of garden statey. And then I thought the idea of having these two people meet, and both of them are dealing with their own uncertainty in a a way, which is the uh, one girl who has these feelings for her friend. Right. And doesn't want to tell her. And the other one who's dying. Um, So I thought that that would... You know, I I didn't know if I had a story yet, but I thought that that struck me as a little more challenging than medieval times. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and it's interesting because I've read it. It's called The Dark. It's mm-hmm. with Joshua Rosen who does who does the yep. art and stuff. And they go to Onoir, and yeah, and things happen. And these emotions that you're talking about that you mm-hmm. want to convey. I mean, the setting really you know sort of personifies sure yeah the situations that both of them are going that both of them are going through because they're in the dark yes. the whole time and there's uncertainty with that and there's uncertainty with what they're trying to convey yeah. so were you is that what you were trying to do yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely what i was trying to yeah. do so i'm glad that that yeah. uh, came through yeah. like it's supposed to like yeah, it looked like really dark, or you know, um, <laughs> not like by oh that sort of happened by yeah, accident. Yeah, oh that happened by accident. Yeah, I wasn't. Um, I originally was thinking like when I was like, okay, so tell tell a story at Noir. I didn't really know what it was going to be. Like, was it a murder mystery, or whatever? But it didn't really appeal to me. Like, right. for, and that it, it really hit on when I sort of came on those themes. So yeah, so yes, it was intentional. Right, yeah. and so that's your story for volume three, but volume two. <laughs> You did the last Nuit Blanche in Toronto at the end of the world, and it's like a it's like a blind date. Yes, right? yeah. And that was sort of the story, like I was saying, <laughs> that everyone kept talking about. Well, so how did that uh, come to you? You know, actually, that that time I was on a very big uh, Neil Gaiman kick too, <laughs> so, uh, which you can totally see in yeah. that. Like, I think I had I was just finishing the run of Sandman, right. and there's a story near the end of uh, I think his name's Hob. He's the Hob um, Gadling. He's the immortal guy. Yeah. yeah, it's him going to a Renaissance fair with his girlfriend, and he has like this is right after spoiler alert. Can I spoil Sandman? <laughs> That's... I think can I spoil a twenty-year-old enough that I yeah, think you I think can spoil um, So this is right after like the Sandman dies. He has a, an encounter with death, right. the personification of death there. Yeah, and I just really liked the pacing of that episode because it was or issue. It was it was really more about the relationship between these two people. Right. I wanted to. I was like, oh, I want to try something like that, and 
I think that also when I think of Nuit Blanche, it's not always positive thoughts. No, too. Um, I think, same. And yeah. I think everybody in Toronto, especially now, yeah. like I think yeah, Nuit Blanche. It's, it's I think like every like every year, it's talk like about a quarter diminishing of returns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that first Nuit Blanche was like so magical, <laughs> and then we were like, wow, what what is this thing that we've discovered? And then the next year, I was like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, exactly. It's like gets colder and colder every yeah. year, and, and things yeah. get crazier, and the, the crowds get bigger. Yeah, more teenagers come. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. But at this, I, I kind of wanted to, what would the last Nuit Blanche ever look like? And it was sort of, I guess it was a story about, I'm just sounding so pretentious. <laughs> it's a story about art and like, but it's, I guess, same, same idea is like, I guess I'm, I'm not, a, I, I'm a very anxious person uh, a lot because it was also thinking about like why I write a little, like what art does to me. Okay, um, what does it do? I don't know. It makes me not sad that the world's ending. Like, I don't know. But it's cathartic. You get to escape? Is I get that, to escape. I get to... Yeah, no, but I get to express myself in ways that uh, I clearly am not as good at doing uh, by talking. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it it a fun fun book nice. to do. Cool, cool. Yeah. So, Allison, I kind of want to know the same things about your story. Like, I, I read... Uh, Ghost Silver Garlic Mashed Potatoes, which is an amazing title. That's <laughs> Megan Carter made that joke in a text, and I was like, "There's our title." <laughs> <laughs> it was that's an amazing title, and I was reading it, and I'm like, "Is this real? Like, are is this like a real ghost story?" Because generally, it's about these sort of paranormal ghost hunters that you would see on one of those like cheap OLN reality shows mm-hmm. going to I think it's is it the keg? Yeah, we couldn't use uh we got their permission to like depict it visually, but they didn't want us using the keg logo at all or the name. Okay. That is the true sort of haunting story. I looked into it. I feel weird following Aaron because my process is so not artistic. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, so tell me, yeah, tell me about your process, and then I want to go get into this whole ghost story at the keg. Because being a resident of Toronto since like 2003, I had no idea. And this is like the keg on like Jarvis. It's like yep. a giant the keg mansion. mansion. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think Vancouver, where I grew up, has a similar mansion called the Macaroni Grill. That was like an original mansion converted into a restaurant, and my parents got married there. Aww. So then, as I was reading your story, I was thinking, were there ghosts at my mother and father's <laughs> wedding? I hope so. That would explain so much. <laughs> so yeah, so like, tell me a little bit about your process and. This is is this the first volume that you're involved in yep. with Toronto Comics? Yep. So how did you get involved in in Toronto Comics? Honestly, it's such a boring story. Uh, I was talking to Adam Gorham, who does our covers, at the launch of True Patriot Volume Two, okay. and Andrew came over to give Adam a cover of the book or a copy of the book. And then Adam was like, this is Allison, she's an editor. And Andrew was like, I need an editor. And I was like, okay. And that's that's literally how I came on. <laughs> Were you really an editor at that yeah, time? Yeah, I was editing <laughs> Human Lizard. Yeah. So cool. it yeah, wasn't at the time. So it was good. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, so we I was editing. As I said, I kind of stumbled into comics unexpectedly. It wasn't a huge, like for a long time, I was, I was doing the review thing. And I kind of thought that's where I was going to go. Once Jason offered me the chance to edit and I started getting more involved in that I realized that it was something I really liked doing I learned more about what a typical editor at one of the actual companies how that role would work and it combines my creative side because a lot of what you're doing with 
review and criticism is sort of similar to what you're doing with editing. Like you're saying, these are problems that I'm seeing and this is how we can fix it, so we can make it better. Right. Um, so it's that impulse with my desire to tell people what to do. So that's nice. <laughs> nice. And so editing is, is more the direction I wanted to go. So again, I, I was actually an editor and Andrew needed one. So I thought it seemed like a really good learning experience for me and right. to kind of be more involved with the production side of things. So I was excited about that. And one of the ways to like get involved in the production of comics without there being like such a high bar, like you're not... When you're editing something for self-publishing, you have to do all the work. Yeah. Or, you know, the Marvel editors aren't the ones, like, making sure that all the mock-ups are affixing white balance and right, stuff. Like, right, there are yeah. other people that have to yeah. do that. And they yeah. don't have to be the one on the phone with the printer and all right. that kind of stuff. So, uh, just learning all of the different steps. And, you know, Andrew has to step in and letter the stories for people, which, again, mm -hmm. not something most Marvel editors have to do. Right. I originally was just going to edit. And then... We were looking at our submissions and Andrew really wanted to have... He'd had these kind of true stories about Toronto. I remember from yeah. the last one. Like, there was there was a dude who, like, sold books on the street that was, like, a real guy in Volume 2. Yeah, yeah that's BC's story. Yeah. Yeah. There's, also, there's also just the true Toronto tales, which are, like, not colorful at all. It's just, like, this happened, this happened. Yeah, this like, the one interested. about, like, the Jamaican The Jamaican Paddy War, yeah. Yeah, yeah stuff like that. Yeah. So we didn't have any submissions that were along that line. So I was kind of thinking, uh, okay, maybe I should write something. And so this is, again, my process, very pragmatic. But I was like, okay, what do I want to write about? I like spooky stuff. So I was like, okay, we want to do something true, but I like spooky things. So I started looking into like ghost stories in Toronto and you've got like the old Finch Road one, but I started looking into that and it's very kind of probably nothing happened and it's very inconsistent. What is that? It's either like a bus that went off the road up on old Finch Road or like a person who died on her birthday there's like nine different stories and i would just it was boring because okay. it was just a bunch it's of like someone legends. who lived on old finch wants to be famous and he keeps making up new stuff yeah, yeah. it just it became not that interesting to me but i, I started like i looked at the keg mansion because it is ostensibly haunted right um who, who uh who told you about the keg who told you to write about the keg mansion oh was it you aaron yeah it, it was aaron aaron feldman suggested let's just yeah. take a pause so aaron can pat himself in the back <laughs> guys we're not talking about me enough <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Um, okay, yeah, that's true. You did tell me, so I looked into it. And yeah, there was some stuff on Wikipedia, and I found a couple of those like real haunting websites. And uh, I just started reading about it, and I actually went there for dinner. They, I think that the, our waiter overheard us getting excited about the ghost, and he, like, <laughs> we all went to the bathroom because that's where... The women's washroom upstairs is supposed to be like the hot spot for poltergeist activity. So when we were in the bathroom, we came back and on all three of our table settings, there were little booklets about the haunting. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I got my information from there as well. There isn't really a narrative to it because it's sort of... We speculate that there were, you know, these two ghosts that people see. Some There's one ghost that they see of a little kid and then doors will open and shut in the bathroom and things will fall off walls and stuff like that but it's also non-specific that there's not really a narrative to it okay so that's what i was wondering because when i was reading it i'm like is it connected to massey and like that's the speculation okay so what what is the story the so they think that the oh sorry there's actually three ghosts okay uh, my own story i should remember okay. um so yeah there's a little boy who's seen up and down the stairs from, like, one of the dining rooms, you can see a kid on the stairs. Right. Uh, and they don't know who he is. There's no... I couldn't find any speculation at any rate. Then the bathroom is where Lily and Massey's 
bedroom used to be. So people think it was her just because that was her bedroom. But then a few of the like psychic medium um like experiences online yeah. said I was a very masculine energy that I felt. So I was like, oh well maybe it's not her guys. Yeah, you gotta they trust say them. it's a dude. Yeah. So <laughs> um but yeah they they say that because it was her bedroom. And then I think it seems like there was a maid who hung herself in the vestibule and I think I get the impression that's confirmed because that's the only one that's consistent across all of the accounts that I saw. Okay. Was that there was a maid who hung herself. Supposedly, you can see her sometimes hanging in the front hall. Yeah, there was a lot of speculation as to why she may have done that. Some accounts said that she was really, she was just distraught when Lillian Massey died, because shortly after she died. Uh, and some and Lillian said, Massey, did she die under, like, weird circumstances? No, or it, just... she had a, a, a disease, like, I want to say pneumonia. Okay. That, that's probably wrong. Some historian's going to be listening to this and be like, actually. <laughs> no! Uh, like, getting so mad. Yeah, but it yeah. wasn't anything... <laughs> like abnormal or strange just it was like so she died and then the maid killed herself so i think it was either that or that she had been one of the speculations is that the maid was having an affair with one of lillian's brothers and was like scared that that information was gonna get out so she hung herself and i was like all right okay the internet that's a good way to cover it up yeah, yeah i know right yeah. <laughs> kill him if anything yeah yeah and maybe yeah there was did. also maybe that's the masculine presence oh. Oh. we solved it there we go. <laughs> Hot take. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was also a murder there, like, years later, but there's no ghost Did they own it still? It. I think so. Uh, it's been months murder? since I did this research, okay. so I don't remember. But I think it was Massey's, so I guess so. I think yeah. they were. It was, like, an- another generation of Massey's, and it was another, like, maid or house staff that murdered one or two of them, as oh. I recall. Either way, it was just kind of a funny, sordid thing. But there isn't really, like, a narrative there, so I couldn't just write about the mm-hmm. ghosts. And I also didn't think I could make that scary, really. It's like, oh, the door slammed yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah. Wasn't really going to make a good comic. So Megan Carter and I are really obsessed with those cheesy ghost hunter shows. On OLN? Uh, yeah, specifically. Where they never really find anything? No, we we really <laughs> like ghost adventures. That's our favorite. Okay. Because the guys are super bro-y, and we just find it, like, really endearing. <laughs> Um, that's where our, our protagonist came from. He was very much inspired by Ghost Adventures. Yeah. <laughs> but we, yeah, I don't know. We had just been watching a lot of the show and we both have a lot of affection for it. So it just seemed like a really good way to... It was basically an exposition machine. I was like, this is a way that I could get all of that info out there and still kind of make it an interesting story to read. It's a really good narrative frame to hang things off of, too. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. And we kind of, you know, tried to mimic the look of the shows and the, like, repetition and the fact that they're, you know, they'll hear, like, a creaking sound and be like, evidence of ghosts! (laughs) But it's it's reality TV conventions, you know? They always have to make everything so much bigger than it is. Because it's, like, if it was, we stayed in a house all night, and nothing happened. Yeah, it would be really happened. boring. Exactly. So, like, every little thing is, like, totally overblown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I don't know, other people might have different opinions. But with that stuff, for me, it's, like, anything compelling you do have. Because, like, I admit, watching these shows, I'm not about to be, like, obviously all of it's real and not staged. But there's some stuff sometimes you'll see and you'll be, like okay, that was creepy. Like, that was, that's weird and I don't have an explanation for how you did that. Right. But any of that gets kind of drowned out by all the times it'll be like, we heard a tapping sound and it was definitely a ghost. And you're like, okay. (laughs) 
but that's me. So yeah, I just, I have, I love watching the shows, though. I think they're super fun. And when it's late at night, it's harder to be like, that's fake. (laughs) You know, like, I remember one episode, we were like, we we had a day where we watched like six hours of this show for research. (laughs) And there was one near the end where like, they're talking down a hall and this person walks by and they run out and there's no one there and we were both like oh my god <laughs> that's awesome uh so stuff like that's like creepy and if you let yourself get caught up in it it's like oh that was spooky like i liked that yeah. so it was a good narrative frame honestly that's how i thought about it it wasn't a very uh like creative thematic process and, and on all those shows it's like they always make it speculative enough where it's like we saw something, but we didn't yeah. really get a good shot. And upon further review, it's fuzzy. And yeah. Our equipment wasn't really working and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so there's always, like, you have to... Yeah, yeah, and you always have to, like, apply whatever stories associated with the place to whatever you see, you know? So right. it's not like we saw a door open on its own. It's that was, you know, X dude who killed people in the yeah. house opening the door, yeah. which also is just sort of vaguely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not sending up the activity of ghost hunting so much as the conventions that come along with having to put it on TV. Right. But yeah, it just seems like a fun narrative frame. Hopefully people think it's funny. Megan added a whole bunch of uh, really good visual touches. Mm-hmm. Like the, the her idea, um, or it was her idea to have the, the crew present all the time. So, you know, there'll be, like, a bang sound and you'll see all of the, like, crew members, like, texting and standing around and stuff. So yeah. it's, like, obviously this is an objective and you're not there alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was her her idea, which I think makes it funny. Yeah, it is really funny and, you know, really cool because you, you learn a little bit about Toronto history and you get a little laugh out of it. And it's pretty cool. And then it, Thank you. It's yeah. also a little scary, too. I'm not going to lie. Oh, <laughs> well, good, good. The visuals are pretty good at that. I like what yeah. she did with the uh, the eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that was good. Really cool. Erin, yeah. how did you... Like, you're now editing an anthology, and I know you more as, like, a writer. So sure. So what was it like to go from, like, being the writer where, like, oh, my editor will maybe take that care of yeah. that for me to, like, being the editor who was expected to take care of all the writers and sure stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well i guess um i i'm someone who like really edits as they write like okay. i self-edit a lot so it's so you're just applying the same principles to when you see other people's stuff um is it easier i always find it's really hard for me to edit my own edit my own oh stuff. it's very hard it's, yeah. yeah and that's one of the you know things that keep things from getting completed you know right. is that oh this isn't good yet it's not good enough yet yeah. um i think that one of the easier things about editing other people's story is um, you don't have to be as anal. Like if they're, they're not necessarily going for the same thing you're going for. So you have to put yourself in their sort of mindset and just try and make it the best story that it can be when they're writing right. it. Cause you don't want to like rewrite the story oh, yeah, and that, as an that, editor. That would be a bad editor. Like yeah. you'd be like, no, there's no, Alan Moore said to do this. <laughs> so, yeah. um, uh, there's a really, really great variety of stories in this. Um, in terms of just styles, um, plenty of different, like, you've got some really charming, like, you know Ricky Lima, right? Right. He's got, like, one of the most, like, just, like... From Black Hole Hunters Club. Yeah, from Black Hole Hunters Club. Yeah. Um, so he's doing a story with Kelvin Sue called Architecture that's all about 
the buildings of Toronto just like chilling and having a good time and chatting. Ricky's words. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's very Ricky. Like it's very just like kind of laid back and sweet and uh, yeah. like you real you finish reading and you just want to smile and like <laughs> hug a building or something. Yeah. Uh, it's like the buildings become that guy in the background of the Stadium co- Comics YouTube uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. channel videos. Totally. They're just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know. And hey, man. Uh, hey, man. Uh, so, and so and you've got some more intense stories too there's uh margo blank here or m blank here is uh, <laughs> is uh doing a, a really cool kind of half ghost half mythic story about a an old explorer who is sort of wandering the streets of modern day toronto um that's sort of, it's a really cool. intense story uh, with art by leo lee who is i think a concept artist for ubisoft yeah nice. so. yeah so it's like it's a really cool, very like adult looking uh, book. So that doesn't answer your question though of what it's like to edit it. It's just kind of cool letting these voices develop on their own right. as best they can. Do you feel like editing is a place that you that you want to do more of, like something that you want to like place you want to go more? Or yeah, I don't think I ever want to stop writing, but okay. but I'm definitely been really enjoying the process of editing. I find it pretty rewarding, and it's right. in a different way for sure. And Allison, for you, like you sort of stepped in to 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 do the writing would you want to do more writing yeah i i am enjoying it uh, as aaron mentioned i am i do have a story in the hogtown horror right. anthology i like doing it and i definitely am interested in doing some short form stuff like uh jason and i are talking about uh i'm probably going to do another grizzly biker two-pager at some point this year which is another one of his characters yeah, yeah. it's sort of spun off from uh, monstrosity monstrosity yeah. Antholo- yeah. the monstrosity anthology and now we're building him into the human lizard world yeah so, excellent yeah, yeah he he knows majestic rats two yep. rats so uh we're gonna be playing with that a little bit um can you I tell do us like- anything about the story you're doing or oh gosh uh, I don't, not yet. Okay, I haven't thought fine. about it yet. Yeah. He was just, I, Jason knows that I have, again, horror fans. So right. I have that affection for the, the sort of, um, the content he's playing with, with that story. Right. And so, uh, or with that character rather. So, uh, I did one about like hockey zombies in Mount Pleasant Cemetery and stuff like that. Nice. Just cause I, we did, do, we do it in a very sort of like classic seventies Marvel horror style. Right, right. So that's a lot of fun. Um. But I don't, it's not something I would pursue professionally. Like, I think that my skills lie more with editing, but I also think it's valuable for me to, you know, dabble in these other areas so I know how they work and how it's done. Mm-hmm. Being a writer on the other side, working with editors, I think is giving me a bit of insight that's helpful into how I can work with writers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was learning how to letter yesterday and stuff like that. So I think. Uh, I'm interested more for the the learning experience, and if I make stories along the way, people like hopefully it's yeah, not yeah, all yeah. garbage. <laughs> I think I think eventually I want to learn how to letter because I find like when you're writing comics, that's like a useful skill to have. Very that useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one else really wants to do. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was exactly. And I feel yeah. like I'm more capable of jumping into that than. Uh, other aspects of art like i'm never going to be an artist and i i think i wouldn't be a great colorist either right but i was thinking of other sort of you know i've i've tried writing and i think the only other thing i could really master would be lettering because you don't have to like have an artist eye to do that right and like in the same way i don't mean to derive sense i think you need an editor's eye to be a good yeah because it makes sense that the editor is 
doing the lettering because you're fixing like the formatting stuff at the yeah, lettering exactly. stage and it's so hard to like convey to an artist this line on this page like spacing like it gets really detailed sure. and minute with the whole mm-hmm. with that whole thing so if you're just doing it yourself you can just fix it right away kind of thing yeah and i think people underestimate how much of the storytelling you have to keep in mind when you're lettering like i think you know, even just speaking from my own experience, when I first started reading comics, I would never have thought about, you know, there's the little nitty gritty stuff like the bars on the eyes and the kerning and stuff like that. But in terms of like placement of the lettering on the page or the sort of like typefaces you're using, you know, again, to bring us back to Sandman, like Todd Klein's lettering in that is amazing. And he's one of the original like by hand yeah, letter people. Yeah, he's like just incredible. Yeah. And looking at his work, you know, you start to see evidence right there of how significant the lettering is to the storytelling. You know, it's not just yeah. sort of conveying information. It's a lot more important than that. Well, mm-hmm. and Sandman was famous for like changing the lettering style according to who was talking and like yeah, the character. Yeah, which stuff. was a really neat storytelling device that I think a lot of other comics have kind of adopted now. But it's one of those things again where you're right. looking at it in context before everyone else was doing yeah. it and it's like this is actually really incredible and effective because like how would you i'm worried about the idea of an adaptation of that story like the idea of dream having a voice yeah well it seems like uh, <laughs> joseph gordon levitt was having some uh reservations too because he just left the project oh did he yeah yeah but i kind of think that like it's kind of something that I would have done if I was Joseph Gordon-Levitt because the new line just pl- planned to hire like a writer who did like Final Destination Five. Yeah, and, get out of there. And yeah. So it was, it was it was a very you know that they're kind yeah. of going for like the cheap comic book yeah. adaptation, mm-hmm. not the committed the Lucifer. Uh, yeah, oh, the let's Luc- not talk about like that. the Lucifer yeah. comic adaptation <laughs> rather than like the committed good comic book sure, adaptation, yeah. which is what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as much as I have issues with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's filmmaking <laughs> and films, I think that if if you have a passion project and you're you're really committed to it and it's like heart and soul, it's going to be good because you're not going to like let it be bad. Right. And right, I right. think and that's sort of what was evidenced by like Ryan Reynolds and and Deadpool, right? Is yeah. Like he stayed with it so mm-hmm. long that he was like perfect. So that's kind of what would ha- would have maybe happened if Joseph Gordon-Levitt had stayed with it, and now that he's not. Who knows? I'm I'm expecting, like, Frank Miller's The Spirit, but as as sad man. (laughs) I'm not not really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's It's such... It's... I can't imagine possibly adapting that series to film, especially. Right. Yeah. As we say, it's so episodic. I just yeah. oh, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. And I they, derailed. This and they said that. No, but it's <laughs> no. And they, they but they said that about Watchmen, and they still made the attempt. Right? Yeah, <laughs> they tried. I guess. Yeah. yeah. A for effort. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. And who knows what they're going to focus on? Mm-hmm. They might. They could just take one story out of that and make and make it a movie. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. True. yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so so this is really cool. Like, do you think like Aaron, you were sort of involved in the in the second one and the yep. third one. So give me an impression of like, I guess the evolution of the Toronto Comics project. Sure, yeah. Since like the second and third one. Yeah, well, I guess the biggest thing is like as we as the book is getting bigger and bigger, because I think the first one had about nineteen creators involved, and they all knew each other. Right. You know, the second one had. 
something like 30 creators involved and now we've got 47 i want to say 47 yeah 47 and and it's going to be 300 pages as opposed to 100 and 200 respectively right i I sound like michael bay but like everything's bigger um (laughs) but but we're able to um have a wider variety of voices which i think is pretty awesome okay i hope that continues to go because it's just when it's just people you know it's a lot of people with the same sort of mindset as you um, so the stories aren't going to ha- necessarily have as much variety. Right. The whole thing about Toronto is it's one of the mi- most diverse places in the world. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that we're starting to see people who we don't just normally know from like the same Toronto circles. We've managed to really open up uh, submissions. Right. People yeah. are doing comics in this that don't normally do comics or you don't see them as part of the comic. Community. Sure. Or at least they're people I didn't know or, yeah. or Andrew didn't know. Like yeah. I think in the second one... Everyone knew someone there. Right. I think I might have been the only one who didn't really know anyone, yeah. actually. But just because I'm the kind of guy who just shows up, hey, guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's one of the big things is, yeah, and we're having more and more people with bigger names attached as well. Right. Um, like Jason Liu, who's doing a story for the uh, for the anthology, as well as some people who've like done some stuff for like Marvel and stuff. Um, like who? Well, uh, M. Blanker, who I mentioned before, had she she had uh, done some editing work at Marvel and okay. has done like a story or two for them as well. Okay, so you know it's just wide like a wider variety of experience, um, and more and more people are seeing our book, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool too. Like we're like each time we we try and market ourselves, like more and more people have heard of us already, which is kind of cool. That's and awesome. We got and lost a nomination for the Gene Day Awards, like at the end of last year so we're starting to get some recognition so like you know maybe we'll get and win one one day which would be cool yeah hooray well and i think kevin was talking about the gene day awards like just last week was he what did he say did he mention us no he he was looking for like people to like submit sure like the next for the next schusters and stuff we better get on that so (laughs) volume three still in contention for sure um yeah, and, and even, like, uh, with getting forwards and stuff, it's been, like, we've actually always been pretty good with that, because we had mm-hmm. Ty on the first one, Jim Zub on the second, yeah. Ryan North on the third. But it's been, like, consistently pretty kind of bewildering to us. And uh, I don't know, what else? We got on Comicsology rec- or Comics, Comics Alliance. Alliance recently, yep. which oh, yeah, was kind of cool. Like, yeah. yeah, so it's just neat. And we didn't ask them to, which was the we most... Did. Ex- we did. Oh, we did. We oh, did. Andrew did send yeah. an email. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Oh, I've forgotten okay. that. But, but they still. said yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, yeah. you know, everyone sends press releases. Yeah, no, exactly. What's that's, the difference of that? Yeah. yeah, that's all we did. We were just like, uh, yeah. hey, here's a link to our press release and stuff. But they, yeah. they did. So it's it's been kind of cool seeing it get more and more legitimacy i think as mm-hmm. it goes on so with the kickstarter i mean you you've done a kickstarter for every volume right so far? i only know that we did one for the two i don't know if they did it for one i wasn't oh, a part of it did. i don't okay. think so okay so yeah i think they did i think i think andrew said in the first uh, episode that we did together for okay. volume two that, that, we, that they did sure okay. but regardless of how many times they've done a yeah. kickstarter uh, More than once. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> what is the sort of plan for this Kickstarter campaign? I mean, you guys are getting more successful, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but you're also planning to like pay your contributors and yeah. you're, you're more ambitious with what you want to do. So what are like the goals for this Kickstarter? So as you say, most of our funds raised are just going back to the contributors right. because that's been uh, one of the things I was really excited about is that I believe for the first two the writers had chipped in for, or the first one at least, writers chipped in for 
the printing costs and the artists donated their time. That's how Andrew always puts it. Yeah. But this time, yeah, we, we, we have an actual page rate. It's not huge, <laughs> but it's something and it's better mm-hmm. than working for free. Yeah. I think it's it's pretty competitive for independent like anthologies. Yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we can't compete with DC, but... Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. maybe next year. Um, yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah. next year. Uh, but that's our main goal. Uh, so that and printing costs; those are the two main things that we want to achieve. And uh, in terms of stretch goals, we've got some like sticker button kind of stuff. But most of the money we make beyond our ask, we're just going to divide up amongst contributors nice. because mm-hmm. uh, a huge driving force behind this anthology uh, from the beginning has been kickstarting the careers of local creators and of creators who've never been published before so it's exciting to have you know some of the bigger names associated with the book because we can use them in marketing and they tell really great stories and we want to have that in there but it's also exciting to put them next to people who've never been published and show the talent we've got yeah was it fun like and i know this was like the first experience for you aaron and allison like maybe as an editor you've sort of you sort of done this sort of thing before but was it fun seeing like the submissions come in and seeing like the ideas that people had were you really like jazzed about that yeah it was it was fun and overwhelming because i think we got something like 75 75 submission like pitches and stuff that we had to uh to read through you know obviously there's a, a wide there was a wide variety of pitches and stuff it was very exciting also just seeing the um the reaction that people had because we we didn't know if we were going to get like enough to fill the book or as opposed to twice as much as we could use um but i I guess people are knowing like people yeah exactly exactly (laughs) so maybe that was the first indication that's like oh no we're actually kind of like a a thing that people know about you know i think one of the things is there are even a few people who we worked with in past anthologies who we like who weren't necessarily anticipating such a competitive pitch process who said like hey hey uh yeah i don't know i think i'll tell something about uh like harborfront or something and then um and normally that would like if this was a past uh anthology would we would totally been able to be yeah yeah think it through and then we'll do it but with this, we had to be like, "Oh, sorry, like we already have yeah, so many pitches." Which I was, noticed that. Yeah, which was pretty. Was pretty right, was really you uh, you yeah. uh, pitched something, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, did I liked yours. Yeah. yeah, yeah, mine was about uh, this. It was like a true Toronto story, and it was about this guy Luke Anderson who's mm-hmm. trying to make Toronto more accessible with these homemade ramps that he's donating to businesses. Yeah, yeah, and I remember how. I remember that the city was fighting him was on it. fighting him about, yeah. about it that kind of thing yeah i remember that one so yeah that's yeah. i mean that and that's a hopefully with the next one we'll have even like the resources to tell like even we'll be able to tell those stories too yeah, like yeah, that yeah. one too so yeah yeah definitely pitch it again okay so, yeah okay for, for sure. sure yeah um yeah that's awesome allison what was your impressions like with the whole submission process because everything seemed bigger and like there was a little more pressure and like it was more yeah. multi-tiered, as, <laughs> as Aaron was saying. I don't really have the the past experience to compare it to, mm-hmm. uh, just having only come on for this volume. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I was excited right away because we got so many, and there were so many that were so good, and we yeah. spent like three or four hours yeah. sitting there. We all met at a bar yeah. like with our lists that we had. And we <laughs> had our to, laptops like, yeah. in a bar. We had to like go over each one. It's like, okay, well, I think this one should be, you know. In a pitch stage, it can be so hard to tell what the finished product is going to look like. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some where we all super agreed on them. Yeah. But there were some that struck different 
people in the group in different ways. And like maybe one person was more excited about one story and the other people were kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. I think we all had, and there's, there's, I think one story in this, like one per editor where that editor was like the one who's like, like guys, for it. put yeah. this one in it. I can make it like shine. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. You know, and I think they all turned out really good. You know, we have a really, a really solid group of stories, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you have an idea going in what the mix would be or was it, did it turn out to be a little bit more random than you originally thought it was going to be? Well, or? we wanted variety. We okay. knew that. And we knew we wanted to really like cut back on capes, I think was mm-hmm. the only thing that we had like, okay, going in, let's try and keep capes to a minimum like okay. toronto man or cn tower avenger you know um, yeah they just all feel like some like we got yeah. a lot of pitches that felt like pale captain canuck ripoffs yeah, basically. yeah. Uh-huh. and so we just decided no capes yeah no capes. <laughs> okay. um and i think we, we we sort of said that when we were asking for pitches too like mm-hmm. we'll look at them but um you know, we're, it, it's a tougher sell. Right. Uh, there's still one or two yeah, that are in there. Yeah, there's two. We have BCs. And Jasons. Yeah. yeah. And, but, like, Jasons doing a, a story from the Pitiful Human Lizard universe, but it's a date story. It's not, like, a superhero story in the same yeah. way. And yeah. Same with BCs. It's, yeah. it's uh, the premise is it's about this uh, couple who lives in an apartment, and they're convinced that the person who lives down the hall is a retired supervillain. Oh. So it's a much more like slice of life as they're trying to like follow him around yeah, and yeah, find yeah, out yeah, about yeah. it. So I thought it was a really fresh take. Like, yeah. yeah. Like really indie. Like that that movie with Michael Rapaport where he takes pills and thinks he's a superhero and goes a little crazy. I forget what it was called. I don't know. It sounds also like a bit like Defender or yeah, that one with it, the yeah. guy from The Office too, uh, right? Super? S- yeah. that one the one by James Gunn. I don't. Yeah, yeah it might yeah, be super. Yeah. I think yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Same idea. I, yeah. Yeah. I think we also, um, because it's Toronto centric, we did we would get pitches with similar fixtures or similar ideas, and so mm-hmm. there were some that we liked that we had to cut because you know we got a lot of TTC based stories, for example, and yeah. so it was unfortunate because there were a lot that we liked, but they just there were too many that hinged on that, so we had to kind of cut down. Mm-hmm. So there was a degree of that too, yeah. and also like making sure that we were telling, like we did, you know I admit we had an eye for like telling diverse stories. Mm-hmm. There were two that we liked, and one seemed like it had more potential to like tell someone like a, a, a fresher a fresher story yeah, yeah then we definitely lean toward that because yeah we got a lot of um like winter apocalypse oh, yeah like, yeah. yeah we did um stories like toronto after like global warming is after nuclear whatever winter. Nucle- yeah, yeah nuclear winter yeah. uh we and some of them are in, like one of them's in there and it's pretty good the mm-hmm. one by howard wong and keith uh Gratchow. Krakow? And uh, no, Bryce's yeah. is kind of, Bryce Hall's yeah. is kind of along that line too. Yeah, yeah. Bryce is one that's almost like a, a like a docudrama mm-hmm. or a documentary about Toronto in the year 2036. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw that d- date out there, but it's uh, sort of as after the the water levels have risen and everyone's living in poverty. It's very interesting. Yeah, very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, we so, had a few like that. So yeah. do you think like in future anthologies and this anthology, you'll be able to like address diversity issues and like you'll get in sometimes a little bit into like the politics of of toronto and like the things that people are talking about because i find on social media and stuff these days people are way more hyper aware of that of that kind of thing sure so so is that is that something that you guys are sort of tangentially thinking about like thinking about tackling like uh, you may have your own opinion of it too Allison but I think it's always a work in progress you want to incorporate everyone's like uh views and right. 
what they have to say. But um, I also think that that's actually something that Toronto Comics has been doing, like since the first yeah, volume. Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know if you remember BC's story in the first. Did you re- did you read the first volume at all? Yeah, I think I have, I have yeah. both of them. So because so, yeah. she had a story about. Um, a, a transgender woman who's yeah, in, yeah. at school and right, right. Uh, coming out for the first time as transgender. Yeah, like what I and, like about it is yeah. it takes those sorts of issues, but it puts them under sort of a genre lens, and so it's not it's not so heavy handed as it might be in other in other mediums and other. Well, yeah, other I mean, ways. I don't know about heavy handed or like whether that's necessarily yeah, yeah. a bad thing, yeah, yeah, but it, the I mean, she wrote it, it; it was very interesting and accessible. I right, think right, is right, what you're exactly, saying. accessible. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, for sure. And I yeah. think actually, I realize I I said a pun. Actually, <laughs> uh, maybe you could say uh, why. Yeah. So when I smiled and Aaron said a work in progress, because that's the title of a story. Um, Gwen Howarth. I don't know if yeah. I'm saying her last name right. Yeah. Um, but is writing uh, a story, a very personal like autobio comic about um her experience coming out as a trans woman paralleling the kind of increased recognized um i don't want to say legitimacy but the sort of um, awareness yeah awareness of the trans pride march uh yeah. within the tra- the pride parade every year in toronto yeah. Yeah. it sort of was um it started out kind of being forced onto little back streets and no one was talking about it but now it's much more aware and it's part of the main thing much more and, visible yeah much yeah. more visible and so we really liked hers because it was telling this bit of Toronto history, but through a very personal lens, which again, I think makes it a very accessible story. Yeah. And uh, JM had a story in the last one too, that was a little bit about her experiences and her disability. Yeah, like the like two page one. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, was it wasn't cute, long, it was good. But yeah. it's, again, it was, they're very personal stories that people yeah. are coming at. So, I mean, there's always room for improvement. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that as we continue to expand, that we'll have more pitches for those kinds of stories it's definitely something that we're interested in you'll sort of get away from like the more cliched maybe superhero stories or the things that Mm -hmm. come up over and over again and things will start to get more refined in in those in those directions yeah i think so so. like there i know i even know a few people that i really should have just begged to submit but yeah like all the from a hat guys on mississauga right like god if we could get jamal uh to do jamal campbell or like paris to do a story for us like oh that'd be amazing yeah, but, yeah. they, they were on this podcast and and they continue to blow me away i don't know if you're reading uh jamal's uh webcomic no but i should be but he's it doing. is yeah, yeah he's he's amazing and he's doing like marvel covers now and he's like oh, the really? chillest nicest guy That's he's awesome. so talented yeah, for sure, for sure. But, yeah, i kind of tangentially know him but oh, not, yeah. not i don't actually know him but fair enough yeah. I've heard he's a talented things. dude yeah the from a hat guy is like Paris, I mean, you'll hear in one of the episodes, in the earlier mm-hmm. episodes of Speech Bubble, yeah. Paris sort of fell into building like an all-star team of like amazing, amazing mm-hmm. people. And he didn't even do it on purpose. It was sort of, they all just sort of came, were buddies. And went yeah, to school mm-hmm. together that's and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So are we going to go to a volume four? Is it, what are the, what's the future of this? We'll see whether like Andrew dies. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's been working way harder than us um, on this. And um, I, yeah, I legit thought he died like last Monday. We were, so <laughs> we were really worried. Um, <laughs> he was in such constant communication. He was like, I'm, I'm going to be home in 20 minutes and I'll message you. And yeah. then like an hour later, we were both like, Is it was, no, okay? it was like three <laughs> hours later. We hadn't heard from him and we we're like, Oh shit. Like, it, oh, did we kill yeah, him? Yeah, did we kill him? Because, you know, he's, he was up all night because this was the day. 
the Kickstarter that the Kickstarter launched. Wow. And so he was, you know, he was up to like seven the the morning before, Mm -hmm. being like, okay, I gotta do this, I gotta go to work and do this. And you know, he's um, diabetic too, and so he has to, you know, constantly give himself insulin. So I was like, oh, he forgot to bring it. There was a big subway delay on Monday. Like he got caught on the subway and he died. Like, what are we gonna do? So, um, sorry, Andrew. Yeah. So, assuming our Kickstarter is successful and he is successful at life, then well, you're you're fifty yeah. percent funded right now. Right? Almost Very 60. close to sixty. We may be sixty at this point. We okay. were about thirty nine dollars away from yeah. We were really uh, close. Sixty thousand or six thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So yeah, th- it's a good. Uh, it's a good. Should we? We should probably plug. Yeah, the Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I, I was going to get to that. Yeah, I know, I know. Podcast, I know. But yeah, this isn't me. This is me criticizing us <laughs> for not saying it. Not yeah. mentioning it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this Kickstarter, you guys, you, you guys can find it on your so, own. So go ahead. Plug the Kickstarter. So if you go to um, Toronto, what is it? TOComics.com. It'll redirect you there. Yeah. Or you can search up uh, Toronto Comics Volume 3 on Kickstarter. On Kickstarter, if you just sort of... And in the search engine, look it up. Yeah, it yeah. also should be on their projects we love if you're in, like, the browse section. Mm-hmm. So those are all ways that you can find it. And Andrew's not here, but but the thing that I kind of wanted to put to rest... His name's Andrew Stevenson, but it always oh, is we Steven probably shouldn't have been Andrews. calling him Andrew oh, Stevenson. All this. So, so what? Is, so what's the deal with with the whole Andrew Stevenson, Stephen Andrews thing? Well, one's a pen name. One's a pen That's, name. Yeah, okay. uh, Stephen Andrews is his pen name, and we should probably have been <laughs> referring to him as such this yeah, whole time. Our bad. It's yeah. okay. In, in the in in the episode that he's on of this of Speech Bubble, he yeah. does refer to himself by his actual name. Okay, so that's fine. So, so it's fine. no, Whatever. no, sorry, not sorry. Don't worry. Um, cool. I'm gonna just gonna quickly what make sure we have the right address. What happened to Nelson? He was involved in the first two volumes. Uh, so him what's and what's he doing now? Yeah, so him and Malcolm were both uh, editors. So we're kind of replacing that, okay, okay. them. I'm Nelson. Yeah, I'm, I'm Malcolm. Clearly. Um, <laughs> And they've they've gone on to they're working on the anthology that we kind of mentioned, Hogtown Horror, okay. which hopefully will be out in September, a few months after ours. And uh, it's kind of like Toronto Comics, only it's Toronto Comic Horror Comics. Uh, Unlike Toronto Comics, which is supposed to be all ages, I think they're like a pretty like it's a hard R. Yeah, right? they wanted to do some. I I'm not sure. I can't speak to the behind the scenes on why we're here and they're not. <laughs> they hated but, each other. Uh, yeah, but no, they, they wanted to, uh, I guess they wanted to branch out and do something a bit different. Um, and I know even Malcolm had pitched a story to us that we thought was cool, but just was not going to work in the PG-13 uh, yeah. rating. He yeah. had it was like a Cronenberg-inspired like a... yeah. story, which was cool, and we yeah. liked it. I was we kind of like, like fighting for it a bit, yeah, uh, we and like, then I read the pitch, I'm like, oh no, this won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is much too horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but this will, yeah. you know, he'll have a place that he can do that. Yeah. And it, Malcolm's uh, in the in this anthology, though. Yes, yeah. yes, so. with a much more PG-13. Yeah. Uh, what's Malcolm's last name? He's Mikey something. He's Mikey something, Is that is his literal pen name. Okay, cool. Yeah, Mikey something. M-I-I-K-E. Like Mike Snow, Mikey. I don't know. I don't know. Something. Okay. something. Yeah. Okay. And we don't mean Mikey something. We mean Mikey something. Like something like, is the last name. I love yeah. the word something. Yeah. Yeah. This okay. is, I can see some problems with this name. <laughs> you didn't really think this through, Malcolm. Yeah. Um, um, but it's a story about um, Bill Barilko, who was a maple leaf. Uh, Toronto Maple Leaf, who died. Yeah. We all know sports. Yeah, the three we, of us yeah, were all like, "Is the, this real?" I don't ball. know. Yeah. 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 Um. But apparently, there was supposedly a curse on the Toronto Maple Leafs that they would not win a cup 
until his body was recovered something like that something so it's about a kid who line. seeks out to like end the curse of, of the maple Bill. leaves oh, oh, cool. yeah, cool. yeah was it was cool. a neat story and like i'm sure there are people out there who know who know about the hockey yeah. they're just like no like yeah they're with but that historian will enjoy it oh and yeah will just be smiling and nodding yeah, you know, yeah because it, i didn't know anything about it i didn't know anything about it and i thought it was a pretty good story yeah, so, yeah. yeah exactly yeah awesome. it's, it's cute awesome yeah, but they're so they're doing hogtown horror now so that's something to look forward to in the mm-hmm. future. Awesome. So yeah. people should definitely donate to the Kickstarter. Yes. Thank you. You, you need to go and donate. You, you must you, go. You know, please. Not, please. Not, please. Not, please. not just for like the rewards and that kind of thing. I mean, the book is actually going to be really good. And, yeah. and eventually you're going to regret that you that you weren't in on the ground floor of this. For sure. I should also uh, mention because I've had a few people like say like ask me about this and even though it's on the page they they don't ask like because shipping and handling to toronto is very expensive if you want to buy a book it's like 20 bucks but the shipping hand is like 16 dollars. so if you want to get around that if you want to either pick it up from at tcaf where we're launching or from someone we know just buy the five dollar um digital copy uh, yeah, pledge tier? twenty and then pledge. select the five dollar tier. Yes, okay. and so where there's no shipping and handling, and then just leave a note for us that you want which tier you want, right? Yeah, and that you will pick it up at TCAF or get in, like find a way to get in contact with us. Yeah, awesome. So if you, if you're in Toronto, if you're not in Toronto, you probably have to eat the shipping and handling. Cost, yeah, sorry guys, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you guys? Like, where are you on social media and that kind of thing? I do have a Facebook page, but it was more that I was using when I was writing reviews all the time. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Allison M. O'Toole. So it's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-M as in Margaret, which is my middle name. Uh, O-T-O-O-L-E on Twitter. Cool. I have a Twitter as well, but I don't really use it, but I probably should. You should. Um, yeah. And it's just at Aaron Feldman, A-A-R-O-N. Same as your name. Nice. And uh, F as in Frank, E-L-D-M-A-N. Um, I also have a blog spot that I don't use and a oh. Tumblr I don't use. So I should do something about so that. So really, and, you can't contact and Aaron. I should like make a Facebook page, but it's so like gross to like, hey guys, like it's yeah. me, like me. Like, you know, it's like. I do it. And yeah, Aaron, are you sh- are you working on an ongoing? Are you converting one of your 24-hour comic stories into an ongoing series? Yeah, well, I'm working on a few things. Um, okay. And, but I think the one you're thinking of, because you must have had Shane on this podcast i've talked to him yeah Yeah, so um shane and i are working on an ongoing uh i think it's gonna be a web comic it's like a western with um kind of an alternate western where everyone's like a animal so it's 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 a furry western um (laughs) even though it's not a really a furry book i think furry people will love it um but it's uh it's uh it's basically a, a story about a girl whose uh spoiler alert father is a sheriff and gets killed and She's going to avenge him. So it's a pretty... What animal is she, Aaron? She's human. She's human. So, oh. yeah. Is her father an animal? Her father... No, so it's <laughs> it's humans and animals together. In so are the stuff. animals, like, people-sized? Or is she talking to, like, life-sized turtles? They're generally people-sized. Uh, we made it, just to make it simpler, like, horses aren't people. So they just ride horses normally. Oh, okay. um, and I think we also said, like, insects aren't horses... Or aren't people. Insects aren't horses. Um <laughs> 
insects aren't people either because it's just like it doesn't really make sense i think like anything that we need for like flies buzzing around a dead body and stuff Mm -hmm. it's too weird okay if there are people it's uh, like you could have like a page that was a zoom in on the fly yeah just like oh my god this is this is an awesome (laughs) body um so that's something that, that we're still working on we've been working on the um let's say the first chapter for a little while now but um you know shane's a really busy guy um, but he's got some more time now. So I think we're really diving into that. And you may have noticed uh, he's got like the daily sketches that he puts up right. on his yeah. thing, which are all kind of furry genre stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of that is coming from our, our uh, story nice. together. And Allison, you're going to continue with Jason on the Pitiful Human Lizard? Yep. Yeah, uh, that's my main thing. I'm also, I am still doing a bit of writing. I probably shouldn't say anything about this because I don't have a guarantee, but I should have something on Women Write About Comics. I'm going to be sort of test driving with them for a bit. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I'm doing a bit of stuff, but uh, I'm also just, you know, I've been getting uh, more sort of one-off projects. Like I helped um, Rachel Kahn just kickstarted her by Crom anthology. Oh, cool. nice. It was a webcomic she was doing. It's a an autobio comic about herself with a barbarian acting as like her inner like motivation sometimes and it was just like a a sort of it's a really interesting it's 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 a series of it reminds me of like a gender swapped like my inner bimbo which was sam keith's uh he had like an inner child that was like a like a bimbo lady that, that hmm. he sort of communicated with interesting. Like, i can see some parallels and and yeah, there's, there's, sure. yeah. there's like a weird like swap i should i yeah. i like uh, sam keith i should give it yeah. a check but i should also give yeah that, that one sounds uh, pretty cool by crom by crom yeah. yes with the exclamation point um cool it, yeah she just kick-started it so it should be ready soon it's been a webcomic though so you can look yeah. it up on the internet but it's, it's it's a series of just one panel stories where basically like she chronicles her sort of daily experiences, a lot of stuff with like her um, experiences with depression and anxiety and that cool. kind of thing. That's and really sort cool. of the the barbarian acts as a sort of outside or external viewpoint mm-hmm. to that sort of counter some of the the stuff that she's thinking. Sometimes awesome. it's just sort of a So how do you spell her. Chrome? C-R-O-M, exclamation okay. point. Okay, cool. It's um, a Conan thing. So you said you helped kickstart it. Does that mean you're, you're editing it? Uh, yeah, so yeah. actually, uh, so as it, it was all a webcomic. And so that's all done. I didn't touch that. But yeah. uh, her, we were talking at Jim Zub's uh, New Year's party that she needed, she wanted someone <laughs> to just have a look at. Um, she wrote like an essay to go along with it. She had a couple of notes of explanation on some of the sto- the, the strips that she was a little she felt required a little bit more okay. mm-hmm. comment. So it was just that stuff. It was kind of just going through and doing like copy editing. Cause you know, I didn't really, with something like that, I feel you can be a little bit more colloquial. And if she's making certain grammatical errors, it's like whatever yeah. people know what she means. Yeah. Um, so I just did some like copy editing on that. And I have a friend who's been working on a short story collection. He wants to self publish. So I'm working on that with him. And nice. it's just a bunch of sort of odd projects like that. I have a day job. I'm yeah. like this guy. I'm like this loser. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I envy you though. But I like yeah. you know I'm I'm working forty plus hours a week, uh, so I don't have as much time as I would like to pursue creative endeavors. Wow. But that's okay. <laughs> What's your day job? I'm an admin assistant. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I do that during the day, and then I come home and I write or, or I watch, watch Star, Star Wars. Wars. It's yeah. Fine. Nice. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Um, people can find uh, Speech Bubble on Twitter. Uh, at Speech Bubble Pod, 
or uh, facebook.com slash speechbubble. Uh, we're on the Never Sleeps Network. You can find the, uh, this podcast there, neversleepsnetwork.com. Or you can find us on iTunes. So I just want to thank you guys for coming in. And uh, I'm happy that we get to help plug the Kickstarter for this project. I'm happy too. That well, you thank, you to that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're totally welcome. All right. Until next time, guys. See you. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Never Sleeps Network.